Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome into the 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today, today is the sixth straight victory Monday for the San Francisco 49ers. Haven't beat the Arizona Cardinals 45-29 to yesterday in Glendale, Arizona, out there uh, in the desert, you might say. Swept the Cardinals for the second time uh, in two consecutive seasons. Again, a six-game win streak and have now won 12 consecutive games against the NFC West. Insane. 12 consecutive games, essentially three full seasons of beating the NFC West without a loss. And just like two weeks ago or last week, you might say now, clinch the playoff spot this week, clinch the NFC West title for the second consecutive year and remained the number one seed in the NFC West. Thank you for joining us live here on the podcast, on the show. My name is Sterling Bennett. Today we're going to dive into Brock Purdy's MVP case, what went wrong and what mostly went right for the San Francisco 49ers, and could Debo Samuel actually be playing better this year than he was in his All-Pro 2021 season? I know, it sounds crazy, it sounds asinine, and it's dumb to say, but it might just be true. Go ahead and toss your comments down below or in the comments on YouTube. I'll try to get to every single one of them here on the victory Monday for the San Francisco 49ers. So San Francisco wins 45 to 29, and they started off this game, of course, with some points and a touchdown, having scored 66 points on their opening possessions this year. That is the most points scored by an NFL team on their opening drives for the first 14 games since the year 2000. And it feels like every single time we talk about this Niners offense, it is something historical, something that you sit back and say, whew, it's a Montana-level thing or a Steve Young thing or the offense as a whole is up with some of the greatest offenses ever, one of them being the greatest show on turf, uh, the former and now currently known as the LA Rams, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, uh, legends of the NFL of the gridiron. San Francisco in this game seemingly had their way with the Cardinals defense, which even I said coming into this one that I would expect that. I would fully expect San Francisco's offense to... Uh, skate to a victory easily like this this game the Cardinals defense was all set up to be an offensive driven game and it certainly was that um Brock Purdy had no no problems at all scoring against this Cardinals defense Christian McCaffrey was great as he always is in this one as well uh Debo Samuel two touchdowns of his own we'll dive into every single one of those players but off the top 
because he's the one that I care about the most. He's the one that you care about the most. And he's the one the national media loves to discredit the most. And his name is Brock Purdy. Let's talk about the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy. So in this game, Brock Purdy's stats being completion percentage, being actual completion numbers and yards really weren't that big for him. 16 for 25, only 242 yards, but it's about the efficiency. It's about the effectiveness by actually how little he touched the football. Four touchdowns, nearly 10 yards an attempt, a QBR of 93 and a rating of 135.3. Was he perfect? No. But when you have guys streaking wide open downfield a handful of times, Debo Samuel's first touchdown, wide open downfield. Chris McCaffrey's two catching touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, wide open downfield or in the back of the end zone. And then Brock Purdy caps off what some would say maybe easy passes with some of the hardest ones he's made all year long. People will point to uh, picking up Kittle off the blitz on third down for a massive like 38-yard gain. Then you have Brock Purdy's last touchdown pass of this one where it's a back shoulder throw to Debo Samuel falling down near the pylon of the end zone for a touchdown. That might be Brock Purdy's best pass of the year or at least one of the candidates for that. But I thought Brock Purdy's best pass in this game, it's third and 11. They're sitting there saying, okay, we had to get a big first down here. Cardinals just scored. Got to answer. Brock Purdy, third and 11, puts a ball perfect precision past the outstretched defender right into the hands of Brandon Ayuk towards the right sideline. Making those easy dink and dunk throws? Yes. Making those wide open touchdown deep ball throws? Yes. But also making back shoulder fades, the the underneath receiver, the sideline to sideline throws to complete either getting first downs on third down or getting touchdowns late in the game to put this one away. And really, this game to me wasn't a test for Brock Purdy. Now, there was certainly a scare in this one. The minute Brock Purdy went down, I think as a collective, we all said, oh my God, season's over again. He better be healthy. We're seeing our season flash in front of our eyes. Last year was an awful quarterback injury year. We know it. The offseason was full of a ton of quarterback injury talk. Is it going to be Purdy? Going to be Trey Lance? Going to be Darnold? Going to be Brandon Allen? Is Purdy healthy enough? And the minute he got popped in the face, which I don't think was on purpose, the guy's hands were like this. <laughs> it wasn't like he was trying to lay him out or crush Brock Purdy. But when he got hurt, it was like, uh-oh, here we go again. You got to put Sam Darnold in. Thankfully, Brock Purdy, like I believe Debo Samuel and Chris McCaffrey said, he's a tough SOB. Uh, we weren't worried about him at all. Once he came back in, again, this was an easy day at the office for Brock Purdy, but I want to read you some stats because um, the other MVP candidate that was the favorite coming into this week was Dak Prescott. And I think at this point, there really isn't any other MVP candidate that I think is worthy of that title not named Brock Purdy. Yes, 
Tyreek Hill having a great year for the Dolphins, Chris McCaffrey having a phenomenal year for the same San Francisco 49ers, Dak Prescott still having a really solid season for the Cowboys, and even Lamar Jackson, he's having a great year in Baltimore. I don't think any of those players currently hold the candle to what Brock Purdy's doing. Um, quarterback usually gets the MVP. Uh, Non-quarterbacks usually get the Offensive Player of the Year award, right? So I think at this moment, Dak Prescott may have ended his MVP candidacy in what he did yesterday against Buffalo. They were through three quarters. He only had 82 passing yards and an interception on the road against the Bills team that is fine. They've beaten some good teams, lost to good teams. We don't really know who the Bills are just yet through 15 weeks. But the Cowboys, number one in the NFC East coming into this week, could make a massive statement against the Buffalo Bills and Dak Prescott, which Cowboy fans somehow just cannot cope with losing. They watched Dak Prescott walk into the, the cold, frozen tundra that is Buffalo, New York, and they watched him shrink like the shrinkage seen in Seinfeld with the hot tub, and they don't know how to cope with that. Dak Prescott looked like he did not come to play. He looked awful, atrocious, against a rather average, mediocre Buffalo Bills defense that doesn't have their two best defensive players, Matt Milano and Tredavious White. Like, Dak Prescott played awful for four quarters against the Bills, while Brock Purdy's putting up four touchdowns against the Cardinals, already having beat the Cowboys, already having beat the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, Brock Purdy led the offense in this game to 45 points. It's the third time this season they put up over 42 points in a game, and there's no doubt in my mind, whether it's Philadelphia or the Cowboys game, where Sam Darnold got snaps like he did in this one, that they could have put up more points in those games as well. So I do think at this very moment, it's Brock Purdy, MVP candidate number one, a space, then it's your Dak Prescott's, then it's your Lamar Jackson's, your Christian McCaffrey's, and your Tyree Kills. And if you don't believe me, here's the stats. Brock Purdy this year, courtesy of CBS Sports, ranks first in passer rating, First in passing touchdowns, first in touchdown to interception ratio, first in touchdowns per attempt, first in yards per attempt, first in yards per completion, and first in wins. You cannot rank first in 10 different categories and not be heralded as the MVP favorite, or and at this point, you might as well give the man the crown, because... Dak Prescott is not going to have a chance this year to go into Philadelphia and beat the Eagles. Dak Prescott's not going to have a chance this year to go back to Buffalo and make different what was yesterday's performance. The only other big test Brock Purdy really has, and it's a big one, mind you, is the Baltimore Ravens on Christmas Day on Monday Night Football in prime time. Even if Brock Purdy plays poorly in that game, which I don't think he'll do, against a really good Ravens defense, which I'll preview later this week, mind you, even if he plays poorly, I don't think you can knock him so far down a peg. Because even on even in this team's three worst games, there are three losses against the Vikings, the Browns, and the Bengals, which the Bengals game probably being the worst one of the three, 
Brock Purdy was not the main reason they lost those games. The defense couldn't tackle anything. The defense couldn't stop the, other, the opposing offenses. And Brock Purdy was like, I'm doing my best. I'm doing what I can. CMC's fumbling. Yes, Brock Purdy also threw picks. I understand that. But Brock Purdy's not going to have a chance to fumble the bag. And if he does, if Brock Purdy does indeed have this catastrophic meltdown, it may be one of the biggest meltdowns, falls from grace we've ever seen. Because through 15 games this year, Brock Purdy has been excellent through at least 12 of them, good in the other two that he wasn't excellent in, and maybe bad or average in the one game against the Bengals. And to keep this going further, Brock Purdy's on pace this year for 4,608 passing yards, 35 touchdown passes, and only nine interceptions, you might say, wow, that's a crazy year. And in fact, Brock Purdy just yesterday passed Jeff Garcia. Yes, Jeff Garcia as the first Niners quarterback since 2001. I was five years old. <laughs> I was five as the first quarterback to pass for over 28 touchdowns in a single season. Jimmy had 27 in 2019. Brock Purdy already passed that through 14 games yesterday. And again, he's on pace for over 4,600 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. And keep in mind, I did some digging. I compared the analytics and the stats. That, the pace Brock Purdy's on for, 4,600 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, 9 picks, is better than the following quarterback's best passing seasons, including passing yards, touchdowns, and interceptions. We'll start towards the bottom end. Better than Derek Carr's best year, which I believe it was 2017, maybe 2018. They went 13-3. He was in the MVP conversation prior to breaking his leg. Better than Derek Carr's best season. Better than Jared Goff's best season. Better than, get this, Geno Smith. Right back at you, Nick Wright. Geno Smith's best passing season. Better than Kyler Murray's, who at one point in his Cardinals tenure was an MVP caliber favorite and in that candidacy. Better than his best passing season. Better than Trevor Lawrence's, Jalen Hurts, and near equal to Dak Prescott's best season in 2021. Brock Purdy this year is also on pace to have a better passing season than Joe Burrow's best passing season. You want to talk about who's better? You can have that conversation all day. But for this season being 2023 and 2024, Brock Purdy's on pace to have better passing seasons than the league's most elites or people that are going to be in the elite conversation. The Burrows, right? The Jared Goffs this year. The Dak Prescotts. The Trevor Lawrences. The Jalen Hurts, right? Many of those guys in the MVP conversation. Brock Purdy has supplanted himself, cemented himself as one of the best passers of the football in the entire NFL this year. I'm serious. He is one of the best passing quarterbacks this year. And it's funny because... When you play a team twice, you expect them to work on what didn't work the first time you played them, and hopefully, 
their defense can play better, they get a better matchup, and you have to adjust offensively. So the Cardinals did that. The Cardinals, <laughs> they ran eight-man coverage most of the game, courtesy of Johnny Dells, does great work on YouTube. Eight-man coverages against Brock Purdy, right? The first time Purdy played them, he only had one incompletion. That is the CMC four-touchdown game where Ayuk had over 135 yards receiving, right? So the first time Purdy played the Cardinals, only one incompletion. Gannon said, I'm going to make sure Purdy's not the reason we lose this game. Going to take away everything from Brock Purdy. And he still threw four touchdowns and almost averaged 10 yards per attempt. What does it tell you? <laughs> what is Like, you can't blitz against him. You can't play zone. You can't play man. You can't drop eight in coverage. You just can't do... Like, so far there's been no answer for Brock Purdy as a quarterback. He is cerebral. His precision is Drew Brees-like. I don't think he is Drew Brees, but I think he is certainly playing football like prime Drew Brees once was, minus the 5,000 yards, uh, best completion percentage in the entire league, setting records Drew Brees, right? He's playing like in his prime Drew Brees right now with this offense. And I do think a lot of that has to go, or the credit has to go to Kyle Shanahan because Purdy's great in his own right, right? Uh, Purdy could succeed, I believe, on 30 other teams in the NFL. Uh, probably not the Panthers, <laughs> because no one plays well there. But 30 other teams, I do think Brock Purdy plays well. Imagine Brock Purdy on the Steelers. It's probably a 10-win team. Like, they have good players, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, and they are just looking for an answer because Pickett stinks and Trubisky shouldn't be in the league, and now Mason Rudolph is starting. You put Purdy on 30 other teams, I guarantee you they are either going to the wild card or he's at least having an, another 4,000-yard season. That's how good he's playing, but Kyle Shanahan has been in his bag all year long. In this game against the Cardinals, knowing your defense is banged up, knowing you ain't got Armstead, you ain't got Hargrave, the Cardinals can control the clock with the running game, which they did for a large portion of this game, and we'll get to the defense in a second, but Kyle Shanahan knew this team, this offense is going to have to lead us to victory against the Cardinals. He met that challenge head-on, scored an easy four touchdowns with Brock Purdy, and then put up 45 points anyways. To know that Shanahan dialed up a play in which Debo Samuel had 12 yards of separation on a 12-yard touchdown pass. Think of that. Essentially, <laughs> there's no one around him for 12 yards, and you're expecting this quarterback, this receiving group, and this offense to not make those easy layup plays. Of course they're going to make those plays. Like, when you're dialing up plays so efficiently, you're getting 12 yards of separation. You're giving guys nearly a whole first down for free. This just happens to go for a touchdown. The way Shanahan uses motion is unlike anybody else. Like, he is a freaking mastermind. Whether it's the running game or the passing game, what Shanahan does is unlike anybody else in the entire league. And it's funny because... The Athletics podcast today mentioned that 
that Shanahan keeps getting held back by the 28 to three, right? Blowing two Super Bowls, being the one with Atlanta and here in San Francisco. And yes, those conversations are still going to occur, even if Shanahan uh, gets to the playoffs again this year. They're going to happen even if they get back to the Super Bowl. Those conversations are going to be had until Shanahan actually wins the big one. But they made a good point. They said, forget all that stuff. Because what Shanahan is doing right now this year, we have not seen for about 30 seasons. In fact, this offense, you move it back like 20 years is as efficient as the Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Brandon Stokely, and Edgar and James Colts teams of the early 2000s. This is the most efficient Niners team, Niners offense, literally ever. Most explosive team in the entire league right now. They're getting chunk play after chunk play. CMC's running through gaps, running through lanes where there is no lane, finding holes, juking and jiving his way for six yards a pop almost every single game. Debo Samuel's open for 12 yards, <laughs> streaking downfield, sitting there saying, hey, give me the ball almost every single week. It feels like this offense, like no defense can go toe-to-toe with this offense maybe outside of the Browns in, what was it, week seven or whatever, six, whatever it was, then you have the Ravens this Sunday, or this Monday on Christmas Day. It feels like that this Niners offense is a gigantic steamroller running through every single defense. Uh, Nick Mallow in the comments, what's good, bro? Niners victory Monday, yes, victory Monday, sixth consecutive victory Monday. Get the extra day off. To play the Ravens on Christmas cannot wait and coming into this one moving on to Chris McCaffrey because Brock Purdy we can talk all day you you can crown him MVP right now and guess what I would say yeah that makes sense there's what three four games to go in the season you can almost give him the MVP right now it's not to say they're not going to lose again because they might it's not to say he's going to have you know a he won't have a bad game again. Of course you will. But if you told me that you would give Brock Purdy the MVP right now, the answer is yes. Brack Pres- Brack Prescott. Dak Prescott crapped the bed in Buffalo yesterday. Patrick Mahomes shouldn't be in that conversation. It's really CMC and Brock Purdy, and then it's Lamar Jackson. Tyree Kill didn't play yesterday. He's having a great year as well, but... Right now, I crown him the MVP right now. He's out playing literally everybody. All their quarterbacks are second to Brock Purdy this year statistically. He has the best record for the best team and is playing the most efficient and effective quarterback in the entire league. If that player, being Brock Purdy, does not win the MVP, uh, you're going to see me go all the way to the NFL headquarters and you're going to see me with the picket sign saying, if Brock Purdy doesn't win, we riot. Because he deserves the MVP <laughs> as we speak, like the ECW crowd at One Night Stand in 2000 with John Cena out there, right? It's just crazy. But back to CMC, uh, Chris McCaffrey in this game had a total of, which weirdly enough, he led the team in catches in this game. Three total touchdowns, 
23 total touches for 187 yards. Over 8 yards a pop. This man just... When you hear in the press conferences Brock Purdy saying, well, Christian McCaffrey deserves to be the MVP. Then you hear McCaffrey saying, no, that should go to Brock Purdy. The fact that we have two MVP candidates playing at the height of their careers, like, get this, okay? And I wouldn't surprise reading this, but Christian McCaffrey only needs 96 more rushing yards to set a single-season career high, and he already has a single-season touchdown high with 20. Chris McCaffrey is three touchdowns away from tying Jerry Rice's single-season touchdown record at 23. Now, to be fair, it took Rice 12 games, which is just... blows my mind. This man scored almost two touchdowns a game for 12 games in a strike-shortened season. But Chris McCaffrey could break that this season, and he could break that against the Ravens next week. Like, we're talking about a player that could be a 25, 26, 27 touchdown player for San Francisco and break Jerry Rice's team all-time record. It's incredible. That's in the passing game, in the running game, and in this game, he was this team's leading reception leader. He was this team's leading rusher. He was this team's offense, not named Brock Purdy. Then you go to Debo Samuel... Debo Samuel in this game, he had one carry. He only had he only touched the ball five times. But he also had two touchdowns. Both of them being wide open, or the first one being wide open. The second one, an amazing throw by Purdy towards the pylon. Debo falling down gets his knees in bounds, and you're like, this man really hasn't touched the ball. When you're averaging, what is that? So five touches and two touchdowns. It takes you about, what, one and a half touches, two and a half touches to get a touchdown? The efficiency, <laughs> the effectiveness. The San Francisco offense got everything they wanted against the Cardinals defense, which should have been expected. Coming into this week, I even said, I went to the numbers, uh, looked at the defense of the Cardinals. It was like, I can go through every single player and tell you, oh, where San Francisco can succeed. It was just everywhere. <laughs> The Cardinals' defense sucks. Putting up 45 points, weirdly enough, was like, yeah, that makes sense. I thought 31 was a good number. thought their offense would keep it close earlier in this game, but the Niners' offense, I think even to this point, even after scoring 42 against the, the Cowboys and the Eagles and averaging over 30 points a game, I think even sometimes I'm still surprised or even underestimate just how effective they can be. Because I've seen every single game like you have, and I'm like, man, prediction 31-20. And they put up 45 points. <laughs> or, in this case, uh, Mooney Ward's pick six takes off seven or six of it, right? But still, they put up 45 points in this game, and you're like, man, like, am I underestimating this offense and how great they can be? And it's like, how can I do that knowing they put up 42 points against the other two best teams in the entire NFC, not named the Lions? How, how do I still underestimate an offense that has CMC and Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and, and Brock Purdy playing amazing, with Kyle Shanahan being the genius and the wizard he is? How do I keep doing this? It's just insane to me. And Debo Samuel, to show you how good he's been since he came back from injury, right? 
Week 12, seven catches, 79 yards, four rushes, 15 yards, and one touchdown. Week 13, four catches, 116 yards, two touchdowns, three catches, 22 yards, one touchdown. Week 14, seven catches, 149 yards, one touchdown, one rush, and one touchdown. Week 15, 14 catches, 48 yards, two touchdowns, one rush, 11 yards. If I can do some quick math here, I believe in his last three games, Debo Samuel has scored eight touchdowns. Eight. In his last four games, he has scored nine touchdowns. Nine. The, again, effectiveness, the efficiency level, the efficiency level in which this offense is playing at is unlike anything I've ever seen. We're talking historical levels of efficiency and effectiveness. In fact, getting to my point about Devo Samuel earlier, I think that while this offense has not had to rely on Devo Samuel as much as they did in 2021, I think the effectiveness in which he's playing with and the efficiency again in which he's playing with either mirrors and in fact may surpass the all-pro season he had just two years ago. The year in which that got him paid, Devo Samuel might be having a better year than that one. Which just, if I said that, you'd say, well, no, he was so quiet for the middle portion of the season. This last stretch he's had has been on par with his 2021 All-Pro season. If I told you that Debo Samuel this year, in this offense, where he does not have to be the number one guy. It's usually CMC, right? He doesn't have to be the guy like he was in 2021, taking carries, making catches. If I told you he was only four touchdowns away from breaking his 2021 all-pro season total in touchdowns, what would you say? Because that's what it is. Evo Samuel has, what is it? He has three games left to score four touchdowns to break his career single-season high. So, let's get this straight. Chris McCaffrey needs 96 more yards to set a single-season career high in rushing yards, okay? And he's already set a single-season career high for touchdowns at 20, okay? Chris McCaffrey having a career year, right? Check. Brock Purdy always having a career year, check. You have your quarterback and your running back having career years in this offense. Debo Samuel, four touchdowns away from a career single season high in touchdowns. Hmm. You have three players on your offense having career seasons in a way. Interesting. Then you get to Brandon Ayuk, who Ayuk in this game wasn't a major factor. He had three catches, 37 yards. Purdy missed him twice on two post routes. Maybe one could have been a house call, but we'll forget that, right? Because Purdy's so awesome, isn't he? Brandon Ayuk is only three touchdowns away for his new single-season career high of nine. You have three starting caliber players that are not rookies having career seasons in this offense, which... Keep in mind, they are not all of them are the number one option. They have to disperse the ball to all of these people. <laughs> There's a reason this offense is on track to have a 4,000-yard quarterback, a 4,000-yard running back, 
a 4,000, or excuse me, a 1,000-yard running back, a 1,000-yard receiver, a 1,000-yard tight end, like, this offense is the most complete in the entire league. This offense is the most effective and efficient in the entire league, led by the greatest offensive mind in the entire league. No defense can stop them. And the day a defense does stop them, it's going to be like hell would have frozen over. <laughs> the minute this offense doesn't put up 26, 28 points again, people are going to be burning down businesses in the streets. And that's because that shouldn't happen. It's not supposed to happen. <laughs> the way they're playing right now, they should be able to score at least 26 points against the Ravens. And I wouldn't even be surprised because the Rams put up 31 if this offense doesn't score 34. That's how great they're playing. Now, the Ravens are a good team. Cardinals are a rebuilding team. The Cardinals aren't the Ravens. Pretty obvious, right? This Niners team isn't just great against bad teams like the Cowboys are. Or... This Niners team isn't only good at home like the Cowboys are, right? This team isn't only good because of one player like the Ravens are, right? This team isn't just good because they have Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback. This team is good because every single part of the engine that makes this offense go is running at all cylinders they got the oil, they got the petrol, they got the gas, everything's all lubed up and greased up and ready to go. You can't tackle them, you can't guard them, and you have a quarterback putting throws, yes, to wide open receivers downfield, but also into tight windows. Look at any chart. Pretty is the number one guy on 99% of them. Look at any chart. Chris McCaffrey is number one at almost all of the charts. He has over 300 yards more, basically three games of rushing yards over the number two rushing yard back in the league, James Cook. Chris McCaffrey, <laughs> think about that. It would take James Cook three more games just to hopefully catch CMC. That's how effective he is. Evo Samuel having a potentially better year than his 2021 season based on touchdowns alone. Brandon Ayuk in the contract year could potentially have his best season by touchdowns. The only person not having a career is George Kittle, who caught 11 touchdowns last year. <laughs> and I don't think anyone's complaining, saying, can we get Kittle more involved, please? No one's saying that because we know he'll always be there. He's like, friends, he'll always be there for you, right? Like, this offense is running at the highest of cylinders, and there really isn't much more you can say about it than, man, like, put this offense in the record books. And in fact, if this team does not win a Super Bowl, it will be one of the biggest fumbled bags of all time. Of all time. Certain people will say, no, that's not true. I saw this team and that team lose. When the offense can care, like, go back to past Niners teams. 2019, uh, the 2011 team, they lost to the Ravens, the entire Harbaugh era, if you will, right? All of those teams were defensive-based teams 
that can hold opposing offenses to 20, 17 points a game, could get you a turnover or takeaway, and you just hope the offense can play their role and get you 23 to 27 points and get the W, right? That role has almost been reversed. Go back to just 2019 or 2021, if you will, in the Kyle Shanahan era here. You were like, we have a great defense in the trenches. You got Bosa and you got Buckner and you got Armstead and you got D Ford and you got Sherman. We're going to be great. We can hold anybody to just 20 points and we just hope the offense can score 23. Just outlast them. We got Raheem Mostert. We got Debo Emmanuel Sanders Kittle. Not a great personnel team, right? You had a rookie Debo, an older, although still good Emmanuel Sanders. A Raheem Mostert who you're like, you're a good player and he's still great now, but you're like, we don't know who you are. <laughs> Who's this guy? And you got Jimmy G, who you're like, you do a lot of great things, but just not the guy. Like, you're good enough to get us there, not good enough to win us the championship. And you're sitting back saying, the defense has to do all the work. That is no longer, it's no longer the reality here. The offense can do almost all the work. The defense has a part to play. But those roles have been reversed because of CMC and Brock Purdy. The offense, Kyle Shanahan can lead the way, unlike previous years here, unlike previous regimes here in San Francisco. And in this NFL, defenses have to be stout against great offenses. I get that. The old adage, defenses win championships. Not anymore. They can get you to one. They're not going to win it for you. This Niners team is built to win it all because they have a good defense that can get them there but they have the offense that can finish it off and get you that Super Bowl. That's how awesome this is to see. And I get it. It's the Cardinals, but it transcends just more than this win against the Arizona Cardinals. It's so much more than that. Okay, there's my spiel about the, the offense and how great it is and all that stuff. I want to remind you, though, follow us on social media at 49ers underscore access is the Twitter or the X, if you will. Instagram, 19.9 thousand followers. Can we hit 20,000 by the end of the day? By the end of the week, I'll even say, at 49ers.access is the Instagram. And if you want to go to that Christmas Day game against the Ravens, use our promo code 49ersaccess, 49ersaccess at seatgeek.com and save yourself $20 off your first purchase. Okay, let's get to the defense because the defense in this game, a lot of good and there was some kind of bad. Let's start with Nick Bosa because Nick Bosa this year, I think, has not gotten hate, but... I don't really think people are appreciating just how good of a year Nick Post is actually having. I was there in OTAs. I was there in training camp. Um, he wasn't there at all. <laughs> I had more days attended than Nick Bosa did. You may have had as well if, if you were there in the stands, right? Um, Nick Bosa had no offseason program. He had no training when it comes to being in the building. He had no OTAs, no training camp. His first official day of practice was, what, the Thursday prior to week one against the Steelers? Really, really rough couple weeks. Didn't get his first sack until, what, week three against the Giants, four against the Giants, right? Um, which was a gimme sack, mind you. But since then, Nick Bosa actually has ten and a half sacks 
on the year, got one more against the Cardinals this past Sunday, his third consecutive season with double-digit sacks, and I just sat back and said, hmm. So, Nick Bosa, with no training camp, no off-season program, no OTAs, body wasn't really right come week number one, probably wasn't right until after the bye week, right? Imagine had 10.5 sack Nick Bosa this year, had all that stuff. Imagine if Nick Bosa, who right now leads the NFL in quarterback hits and ranks second behind only, I believe, Micah Parsons in pressures, had the offseason program, had his body right. We'd be talking DPOY conversations for the reigning DPOY. I don't think Nick Bosa gets, or at least hasn't got the credit, you might say, or hasn't got the recognition for actually how good of a year he's having because the defense wasn't playing well for a little bit, he wasn't there for the entire offseason, but Nick Bosa has actually had a really, really good year once again and has been playing like a DPOY candidate. I just wish he was there for all the offseason stuff because if he was, I'm thinking 13 and a half sacks and first in quarterback hits and first in pressures. It feels like that he's starting to tick up at the right time. And I even said this when he wasn't in the building around week one or two. I said, you know what? I said, Nick Bosa in the playoffs last year, he didn't disappear, but there were times he wasn't on the field for on third downs, on passing downs. There were times where he just looked tired. I do wonder if with his body getting right around week six to week eight, compared to having the entire offseason program, I think he might be even better suited for a longer playoff run this year than previous seasons. Rookie year, out of Ohio State, off the injury, coming in a long season. He was tired throughout, pushed through. Last couple of years, grueling injuries, right, but fought through them all. Uh, was healthy for a lot of the years as well, and just kind of fought through a 21-game, 22-game schedule, and just at the end of the season got tired. This year, no off-season program. Body wasn't right until halfway through the season. I think he's built more to last now than he ever was in the past. And I want to give him that credit because he has been really, really good for this team. And especially against a quarterback who likes to run, when you sack Kyler Murray, it's, it's no laughing matter. It's like, you got one of the most mobile quarterbacks down on the ground. And in this game for San Francisco, uh, they sacked Murray three times. It's not nothing to look away from and say, whatever, the Cardinals stink. When you sack one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the entire league, it means something. Uh, he's one of the most... I don't want to say, like, he's so elusive where he isn't Lamar Jackson, but he's in that conversation of that next tier below Lamar. It's like, man, like, Murray's crushing it. And there were times in this game where you were like, if, if the, had Ronnie Bell fumbled that ball and it's a one-score game, you're like, what's going to happen here? It's, we're going to the halftime, 21 to 20, and... Thankfully, the ref saved him, but, or actually, him being tackled saved him, but you kind of started to sit back and say, ooh, like, we got, got a fighting chance here for the Cardinals. I do think that Nick Bosa and this defense deserve some credit in stopping the Cardinals' offense, even if they scored 29 points still, right? Um, keeping with the defense here, because I thought Javon Kinlaw, his third straight game with half a sack, with no Armstead, 
and no Hargrave. Someone has to step up. Step up. Kinlaw was fine when it came to pass rushing. Um, run defense, a different conversation, mind you. Um, and we'll get to that right now because uh, the defensive line was okay containing Murray's rushing ability, right? We talked coming into this game that three of their last four games for the Cardinals offense had over 120 rushing yards in three of their last four games, including a 170-yard uh, game in one of those four. Like, they, can't, they came into this week running the football very effectively. And San Francisco said, yeah, we're not going to stop that. <laughs> they said, you can get whatever you want. Now, a lot of that is attributed to not having Armstead and Hargrave on the field, but the Cardinals' credit... They had 234 rushing yards in this game. Almost had 250 rushing yards against this defense that came in as the number one rushing defense in football. And thankfully, uh, Dre Greenlaw played. Thankfully, Mooney Ward played a big, big step for him in this one. But James Conner, 14 carries, 86 yards. Imari DiMarcato, uh, excuse me, only four touches, 64 yards, 16 yards in attempt. Both those guys having one touchdown and Murray himself, six carries for 49 yards. The Cardinals, weirdly enough, didn't stick with the run. <laughs> um, the first drive, they marched down the field, six rushing attempts, two screen passes. They're in the end zone. And you're like, well, that was fast. Wow. Like, is this going to be a dogfight? Then all of a sudden, they're like, we're just going to stop all that, and we're going to pass the ball to Trey McBride, who had a good game, 10 catches, over 100 yards in this one, but knowing your opposing defense doesn't have their two best interior guys, knowing you've rushed for over 120 yards in the past three or, the, or three of the last four games, why would you not continue to do that? <laughs> why would you not push the envelope more and continue to run more? It was working all game long, but the Cardinals were like, mm, we're good. Murray, lead us a victory. Part the Red Sea, throw the football. And it was like, okay, like, if you're not going to do that, thank you. <laughs> you're just helping San Francisco in this case, which when the final score is only 45-29, there is, there is a world in which this game is a lot closer than that. Maybe it's one where... Ronnie Bell actually fumbles, and it's 36-45, and we're sitting here saying, oh man, it's a one to close to a really close two-score game here. Like That was a possibility for a lot of this game had Ronnie Bell fumbled, and the Cardinals just kind of didn't really want to win this one, in my opinion. It felt like they were like, let's win. Oh, uh, we're winning now? Stop winning. Stop, stop, stop. We want a higher pick. Stop winning. Please, please stop winning. Um... But it just felt like the opposing or Niners defense was like, run defense? We don't do that here. Number one, yeah, you still don't do that here. Now, again, no Armstead, no Hargrave. It's going to hurt you. But the tackling was the issue. Run defense, yes, a problem. You can't give up 234 yards on the ground. But all of that goes back to tackling. The Cardinals in this game... <laughs> broke 16 tackles 16 and i want to remind you and maybe even ask you 
What was San Francisco's issue on defense when they lost three games in a row to the Browns, the Vikings, and the Bengals? It wasn't the only issue, but one of the biggest issues. You can say it to yourself right now. It was tackling. They stopped tackling well. Now, off the bye week against the Jaguars and the Bucks and Seattle and Philadelphia, then Seattle again, they started to tackle better. They became a team that was missing three tackles and four tackles and five tackles and only six tackles. We've also seen that number creep all the way back up. Against Philadelphia, 12 tackles. Um, I'll credit that to Jalen Hurts. Credit that to earlier in that game. Jair Brown missed a tackle. Philadelphia had momentum. I'll give majority of those tackles missed to that first half where it was super close. San Francisco's defense was holding on by a string, but still playing really well. They bend and don't break in that game against Philadelphia, but then you look after that one and go, uh-oh. Against Seattle, 14 missed tackles. Against the Cardinals this past week, 16 missed tackles. They have missed 42 tackles the past three weeks. Against a bad team or against the team that you just have their number, like Philadelphia, like Seattle, like the Cardinals, you can miss 16 tackles and still win when your offense is scoring 45 points. You play the Ravens on Monday, you can't miss 10 tackles. You let Lamar get whatever he wants, he gonna be eating mashed potatoes, Christmas Day ham, he gonna be eating turkey, tamales, whatever you do for Christmas, he gonna be at your dinner table munching down on your defense. <laughs> you cannot miss 16 tackles. You cannot miss 12 tackles against the Ravens and expect to win on Christmas Day. This was a massive concern during their three-game losing streak. If you wanna beat Baltimore, you gotta get that number back down. Cut that 16 in half to eight, and we're feeling a lot better about ourselves. But if you're gonna let Lamar Jackson, or whoever it is, whether it's Bateman, whether it's Zay Flowers, OBJ, you're gonna let those guys break 16 tackles on your defense, you are going to force your offense into a shootout, which, like I already said, they should be able to win, but the way the Ravens like to run the football, you're gonna have yourself a long long Christmas night where you want to be saying Merry Christmas, you might be saying Bah Humbug, because it might get really ugly if they don't fix that. Now, you would like to think that Dre Greenlaw's injury being the hamstring, that may have affected him. He missed like five tackles in this game. Fred Warner was solid, had a team leading nine tackles. Uh, and then you also have guys like Mooney Ward who have the groin. You just don't know what someone's going through. Clea Davis got hurt in this one. He has a high ankle sprain. He's out for a handful of weeks. Um, you don't know, right, what was the exact cause of this. But I will just say this. <laughs> that you cannot miss 16 tackles and expect to beat most teams in the league. You have to. You have to complete your tackles. Finish off your tackles. I love your big hits, Jair Brown. Just use your arms, my friend. Use your arms. You have these things called appendages. Just use them. It's not that hard. Now, it's hard to tackle, but you're a grown man. You're a stout 200-pound, 220-pound safety. You're a strong boy. Go out there and grab someone down, throw them to the ground. I know you can do it. I, I saw you do it the past three weeks. Let's not miss tackles. Dre Greenlaw. 
whether it's your groin or your hammy, whatever it is. I think they'll play better, like Rick Diaz says in the comments. How you doing, Rick? You're a good friend. Glad to see you back in the chat. I think they'll play better. You still just cannot miss 16 tackles. 16 tackles. The only 16 you want to see is when it's your 16th birthday and you got 16 candles and you're watching TV, right? That's all you want to do. Go out there and party. Sweet 16. Usually, Sweet 16 doesn't apply to tackling in the NFL. You don't want to miss uh, 16 tackles. It's not, it's not a good thing. <laughs> but I will just say this. Um, they missed 16 tackles, give up over uh, 230 yards on the ground, but there actually still was some good to look at. I want to give a ton, ton of credit to what Mooney Ward and Diamador Lenore did this past Sunday. They were awesome. <laughs> they were all over the place in this one. Uh, Mooney Ward in this one, zero catches allowed on four targets, zero yards allowed, had a 0.00 passer rating allowed when targeted, zero touchdowns allowed, a 91.9 PFF cover grade, led the entire team, and of course, had his two interceptions, being one of those in a pick six, this team's first pick six of the season, and weirdly enough, surprisingly, this team's first defensive touchdown all year. All year, their first defensive touchdown now, I tried to go back in my brain and say, is that true? Like, like when did they not? Like, I feel like they had one earlier this year. The closest one I could find was the Nick Bosa fumble recovery, which would have been a touchdown against the Browns that they called back, which would have gave San Francisco the win late in that game. That was the closest they've been to a pick six all year long or a defensive touchdown all year long. So Mooney Ward gets his fourth or third and fourth interceptions this year. This defense's first defensive touchdown and you make this team or you help 45 points on, on the board. You take those seven points away, those six points away, whatever it is. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't know, 38 to 29. That's a lot closer than I would have liked that game to be. Thankfully, Mooney Ward does his part and caps this game off. Um, it also happened early enough on a fourth down, mind you. I don't know why you are passing the ball on fourth down and dropping back like seven steps for the Cardinals, but I don't call plays there, mind you. But to pick the ball at midfield or near midfield, on fourth down, the Cardinals are trying to stay alive and be aggressive. You capitalize on their over-aggressiveness, get a pick six, and you go up by touchdown. That's what I call offense and defense playing together. When you play together, you got hands across America, you're playing kumbaya, whatever you want to call it, you're having a good old time playing on the gridiron. Mooney Ward, a great, great game. And we already talked about mistackling, but how about actually getting the job done when tackling? Demo Lenore in this one, it felt like Whenever there was a tackle, he was in the area. It felt like, and he did lead or was tied for the team lead in this one with nine total tackles, had eight solo tackles, including a tackle for loss. Lenore was hungry as a dog, 
or as he likes to call himself, the hyena. He was looking to tackle someone all day long, looking to be aggressive. He knew the Cardinals, they got some speed. If I'm sticky in coverage and I go out there and lay some wood, it's going to hurt those speedsters they got. Hollywood Brown got hurt in this game. Michael Wilson didn't do much in this one. What Mooney Ward and Lenore did in this one to clamp down on the speed of the Cardinals offense was just, it was awesome. Like, there ain't much words to use other than, here's a thumbs up, and that was freaking cool. <laughs> like, let's just be honest here. What the, the Niners' defensive secondary did, being Lenore and Mooney Ward, they were clamped down, locked down defenders all day, aggressive tackling, not missing tackles, where the linebackers were, or the safeties were, the guys on the outside, and Lenore being on the inside, and Nickel, they were not missing tackles. Like, they were awesome. They, they were the example as to, that's how you should play. Like, you show your kids tape as to how to cover, it's Mooney Ward. Show your young kids tape of how do you tackle as an undersized cornerback, it's Demo Lenore. That's how good they were. They were putting, you know, they were putting on uh, tape film, right? They're putting the, uh, they're putting on film what you show the opposing players or young players how to play the game right. That was awesome to see. Uh, Rick putting a ton of comments down below, um, saying he likes the show. Three thumbs up to you, my friend. I agree with you, Rick. Happy you like the show. Um, hopefully. Hopefully we can meet up soon. If not, DM me on Instagram, DM me on Twitter. We can have a conversation whenever you want. Again, anybody out there, you want to have a conversation regarding the San Francisco 49ers, DMs are always open. I love talking about this team, whether it's on Instagram or on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. I'm always open to talking about this team. Uh, one more comment I have to make, and I kind of already hinted at it, and that is special teams. Um, I miss... Ray, Ray McLeod. Um, is he the best returner? No. Is he going to give you a, a touchdown or, or a kickoff or a punt return? Probably not. But you know what he's not going to do? He ain't going to fumble. He ain't going to fumble twice. <laughs> like, McLeod is one of the more sure-handed, <laughs> sure-handed punt returners slash kick returners in the entire league. Again, he ain't perfect. He ain't a great guy, a great returner, but he's good. He's sure-handed, right? You know who's not that? Ronnie Bell. <laughs> and I don't want to come down his road because many fans on Twitter have the, well, you can't put number 10 back there, and we're getting Kyle Williams flashbacks. Like, oh my God, it's like Vietnam. Oh my God, what's happening back here? Ronnie Bell, I like you. You have talent. Yeah, potential. I believe in your ability to be on the field. In fact, you've already outplayed Danny Gray, who is healthy, but it can't be out there <laughs> for whatever reason that is. No block, no rock, right? Um, I miss McLeod. Just, you have one job. Fair catch. Hi, call it a fair catch. Or just catch the ball and go down. Don't fumble. <laughs> it's like, it's a lot easier said than done. They got all the ball spirals and all the way the ball moves. I get all that stuff. Ronnie Bell has been bailed out twice this year in close games. Seattle drops the ball, goes out of bounds. You're like, whew, thank God for that one. Oh man. This one, thank God he got tackled. If he didn't get touched and somehow fell to the ground, that's a fumble. 
and it's picked up and ran for a touchdown, 21-20 at halftime, and we're like, what the heck was that? You give the team momentum at halftime, they're feeling themselves, they're young, you never know how a team is going to react to that. I like your Ronnie Bell. Special teams unit is ranked 24th per DVOA for a reason. You don't have McLeod. You don't have George Odom. You don't have your stars on special teams. I get that. <laughs> Just call a fair catch, my friend, or put somebody else back there that can. I like your Ronnie Bell. You block, and you're going to get the rock. You almost had one in this game, right? Just it makes me a little uneasy, because... Niner fans know what it's like to maybe have a game one, and you're like, oh man, like, I'm a little worried here. Um, Bobo in the comments says Ronnie Bell also got the penalty on the fake punt run for a first down against Seattle. Um, it's true, he got called for a penalty on that play, Bobo, and thanks for watching and listening here. Really appreciate it. Uh, I do think that that one was a little more ticky-tack, because he kind of fell down and that's what changed the positioning of how he was blocking, but I digress. He has not played the most perfect game, and whether it's Debo and, like, you just need someone to say, fair catch, plays over. Like, there are plenty of guys fumbling out there, but I am hoping and I am praying, like I never had before, and say, God, Lord God, please, Mother Mary, please, Give me McLeod back on punt returns. We cannot have that happen. Like, we had Ricky James Jr. for a long time. We had a bunch of other people back there, and you're like, oh, I guess they're okay. We finally have McLeod, who has been rather sure-handed, get hurt, and you're like, oh my goodness, Ronnie Bell, here's your chance. And then it's like, keep fumbling the ball. Stop doing that, please. Because it might, it might cost us a game, and... Got the Ravens, you got the Commanders, you got, you got the Rams again. You don't want to lose any of those games with the number one seed still up in the air. You control your own destiny. You don't want Ronnie Bell fumbling that away. <laughs> Please. Okay. There's my rant. I'm done. Over an hour. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. I appreciate it so, so much. If you could... Leave a like on the YouTube video and please, please subscribe. It's a free and easy way to help the show grow. Get more people like you, the faithful, to join together in this community. If you're listening on the Spotify or podcast platforms, please leave a like, share, and subscribe. Leave a review. Give us five stars. Say whatever else you want in those comments. And dare I say tonight, those Seattle Seahawks beat Philadelphia? It feels weird saying that, but let's go with it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on social media at 49ers underscore access is the X or Twitter. 49ers dot access is the Instagram. 19.9,000. Let's hit 20,000 by the end of the day. And if you want to go to any Niner game this year, whether it's at home, on the road, or even in the playoffs, Use our promo code 49ersaccess, 49ersaccess at seatgeek.com and save yourself $20 off your first purchase. My name is Sterling Bennett, saying thank you for liking, subscribing, watching, and listening. And until next time, happy Victory Monday, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and stay faithful.